Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Wednesday, May 4th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The education culture war is raging, with discussions on everything from how we teach history, gender and sexuality, and race. We are seeing textbooks being banned, and laws being implemented restricting certain conversations in school settings. While some of these discussions have been loud and very contentious, a new poll says that for most parents, it's more background noise. Majorities of parents across party lines say that many of these issues are being taught in a way that does align with their personal values. Anya Kamenetz, education correspondent at NPR, joins us for how leading into the midterms, a very vocal minority is driving the discussion around education. Next, it was one of the main tools that helped us transition to a work from home model during the pandemic. Zoom, and other video conferencing apps. They helped us connect and collaborate when we could not do so in person. But a new study shows that compared to meeting in person, creativity did take a bit of a hit. Because we are so focused on the video screen during these meetings, we lose sight of our environments and move less, both of which stimulate creativity. Erica Pandy, business reporter at Axios, joined us for the toll that video conferencing took on workplace creativity. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. In Florida, uh, we not only know that parents have a right to be involved, uh, we insist that parents have a right to be involved. Joining us now is Anya Kamenetz, education correspondent at NPR. Thanks for joining us, Anya. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about some of the culture wars that have been going on in our schools right now. So pandemic rules were a big flashpoint, uh, you know, while everything was going on, things about mask wearing, vaccines attending school remotely, you know, that's kind of what really was amping a lot of this stuff up. But right now we're seeing uh, different discussions about every other issue right now, uh, things regarding race, sexuality and gender, all this other stuff, textbooks, history, how, how we teach history. So we're seeing textbooks being banned, laws passed about classroom discussions about gender and sexuality. All of this is creating a lot of discussions and we're hearing from a very loud member of parents out there, you know, expressing their dissatisfaction with what's going on. But there was a new NPR Ipsos poll that was asking parents how they felt about the education system, their own schools, their own teachers that, that teach their kids. And for a large minority of them, they're saying that all, all these discussions is a lot of background noise. They're actually kind of satisfied with what's going on. So it's very interesting. So tell us about it, uh, Anya. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had been covering the culture wars and really before they came to K-12 education, we saw a lot of this in the university setting. So uh, what's happened is there's a very kind of successful um, network uh, on the right wing that funds sort of speech around uh, saying that people are doing these uh, shocking things when it comes to either race, um, what they call erroneously critical race theory, um, sexuality, gender, as you mentioned. Um, and what they're implying all the time is that this is like a silent majority of parents feels the way that they do. This is traditional values. This is real America. So what we decided to do was survey a nationally representative group of American parents. And what we found was that really it surprised even the pollsters that there's not a lot of partisan division over public schools. Most parents Republican and Democrat are very happy with their kids own school. They feel pretty well informed about the curriculum and they don't have a lot of super strong feelings, even when you go issue by issue. And that's totally contrary to what we're hearing out there. As I mentioned, you know, this loud group of people is getting a lot of attention. And, you know, you see crazy videos of school board fights and parents just yelling at teachers and school board members. And it really kind of skews the picture of what we're seeing, it seems like. So here's an interesting one. Let's talk about some of the findings. And this one uh, specifically with when it comes to the pandemic, 47% mm -hmm. of parents said that the pandemic did not disrupt their kids' education. So that's pretty at odds with what we're hearing from a lot of teachers who said, you know, as kids came back from remote learning, they saw a lot of stuff, uh, kids behind in certain subjects, uh, the emotional maturity of certain kids not there. But a lot of parents in a lot of situations say it didn't disrupt them that much. Yeah, I gotta say that was a head scratcher for us as well, because like you, we've been tracking all this information on kids' attendance, the, the school that they missed, the test scores, the failure rates. You know, I, I think that there's obviously a tendency towards optimism for parents. And, and what we saw was from 2021 to 2022, a jump in parents saying, yeah, you know, my kid, maybe there was a disruption if you really question them. Sure. I mean, things were disrupted, but they seem to be getting back on track now. You know, there's still a very strong minority of kid, of parents, um, at least one in three who say my, my child's behind my child. And we had a striking actually three quarters who said my child would benefit from some kind of counseling. So it's not that they're not acknowledging the problems, but I think what's even stronger to say is that, you know, we, we've had a few months at least of, of relative normalcy and parents are looking for the good. Yeah. And I think that's an important point because I think the rebound right now that we are going, uh, the kids are going back to school in person, maybe they're seeing a quicker rebound. So they think, you know, hey, this is it wasn't so bad after all. And, and obviously, you know, when we get into lower economic levels, uh, we know that those kids were impacted a lot worse. So yeah, I mean, this, but we're talking in broad generalities with these polls most of the time. So just an interesting point there. As far as where education figures for parents, it's a top three concern. You know, they're looking at inflation, they're looking at crime and gun violence, and then it's education. That's how important it is. But over 80% said that their teachers have done the best they can and they think the schools have done well with the pandemic, too. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's funny. Um, this is a long time trend in polling where there's kind of this disconnect between the abstract or the national level and then your own personal level. Um, a lot of people compare this to members of Congress. If you look at the ratings of, you know, Congress as a whole, they're kind of um, in the dumps most of the time. But when people ask about my own member of Congress, you know, they, they get pretty good ratings. And the same thing is true of my kid's teacher. You know, we had 88% in our poll who said, my kid's teachers, they did the best they possibly could. 
given the circumstances. So it's a lot of goodwill. And again, this is bipartisan goodwill towards the school that, that in fact, people's children attend. We're talking about how this is a little different from some of the bigger national conversations, right? These flashpoint issues. But when you do boil down to it, you know, a lot of these schools are smaller, are small communities, really. So parents do know their teachers, parents, uh, you know, they get more involved. And so they're probably a little more in line with each other than than people might think when when we talk about the bigger issues. And so let's con- uh, let's talk about some of these controversial things. 18% said that uh, the school taught gender and sexuality issues in a way that clashed with their family values. 19% about race and racism and 14% about U.S. history. So these small, smaller numbers are saying that it's actually clashing with their family values. That's exactly right. But you know what's so interesting about the way that we phrase that question is that, um, you know, your family's values might be anywhere on the spectrum. And so there's actually a similar number of parents who think that the school is not um, not quote unquote woke enough as there are parents who think it's going too far. So we actually spoke to parents on both sides of that divide and parents, you know, we talked to a native American dad in Texas and he's like, I want the school to dive deeper. I want them to give me, you know, give my kid the the history of racism in America and they're whitewashing it. Um, I, we talked to a mom who was like, look, my kindergartner, we have transgender fa- friends and family and I want the kindergarten teacher to talk about it because, you know, I don't want to be the only one who is trying to introduce this topic. So, you know, as much as parents are hearing so loudly, um, as much as rather teachers are hearing so loudly from the kind of minority that are cultural conservatives, there's also this minority um, that is uh, potentially ahead of where the schools uh, are trying to go on progressive issues. And and on the other side, it was interesting because you spoke to a parent who said, I don't want a lot of this stuff being discussed. I hope we can do enough counter education at home to counteract that. I mean, that's just an interesting uh, uh, way to put that, really, that you're sending the kids to school to get an education there. But at the same time, you as a parent are going to start teaching things contrary to that. I I guess, uh, yeah, obviously, it has to align with your family values and all that. But uh, just an interesting way to phrase that from a parent. It is so interesting. And I was really glad that 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 parent shared their point of view. They are the type of parent who's, you know, offended by discussion of preferred pronouns and that kind of thing. Um, The bottom line is we have public schools for a reason. They're a public institution where everybody goes and, you know, nine out of 10 Americans go to public schools. So, um, you know, that's really the situation that we're in where uh, people have to somehow come to a consensus and inhabit one America. And this public school classroom is one of the very few places left (laughs) where that actually is happening. So the fact that parents are on both sides of controversial topics, I think is is sort of a mark in the column of public schools that they're really doing their best to navigate these very treacherous waters. What about when we start bringing the conversation about parents' rights, parental rights in education, right? We're seeing things play out in Florida, in Virginia. Republicans are setting these up uh, as political issues, especially coming into the midterms. You know, they're banking on these being uh, uh, vote getters for them. And that's why we're having these conversations. That's why we're hearing from these loud groups talking about it. Um, So how did parents feel about this part? You know, because the whole point of this is that A lot of parents are generally happy with what's going on. You know, they're not paying attention to the noise. But when it comes to voting issues now and the the larger discussion, how do the parents feel about that? 
You know, again, it's like we, you know, hear from the loudest, right? We had a very large chunk of respondents to our poll that said they didn't know um, really what was happening as far as the how the school tackled either gender or history or race, racism. They're just, it's just not top of mind for them right now. They're really much more concerned about, you know, their kids' well-being um, and learning potentially as they should be. That doesn't change the fact that this can be a very potent issue, especially um, depending on how polarized, you know, uh, politics tend to be in in different places around the country where this turns out the base, this gets a certain percentage of people very passionate, um, you know, and and there is sort of been a drift in other polls where you see that parents are not so sure that Democrats are the ones that can most, um, you know, most safeguard their children's education. And that's kind of a new thing since the pandemic. So, you know, I think there's as long as this continues to be a potent political issue, there's going to be people beating the drum, even though it doesn't necessarily represent what most parents think. Quick last question. How how did that uh, break down in the poll uh, when it came down to the partisan lines, Democrats, Republicans, left, right? Was there any breakdown in there? So here's what was fascinating. And our pollster said, you know, I pretty much only ever see partisan divides on every topic today. Throughout our poll, whether we asked about school performance, whether we asked about U.S. history or race, there were very few partisan divides. So we saw very similar responses um, from from Republicans and Democrats on their kids' well-being and on the performance of the school. The one place where there was a little bit of a divide was about gender, uh, gender and gender identity and sexuality. And that was a place where Democrats tend to be a little more satisfied. Republicans are a little more likely to say, yeah, my school, I'm not so sure about, you know, what they're teaching. Still, it's very closely divided. It's 22% of Republicans, um, if I recall correctly, who say, um, you know, the school's teaching what I want them to teach where 26% are saying, no, I'm not so sure this doesn't really align my values. And, you know, the larger number, again, is a don't know or a my school doesn't teach this. Anya Kamenetz, education correspondent at NPR. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for taking the time. It was great talking to you. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And the people who are working together on Zoom came up with fewer and less innovative ideas than those who are working together in person. And you and you look up, you can look up the study and see exactly how they judged it, but the takeaway for me was, okay, so there is really a creativity innovation cost of working yeah. on Zoom. Joining us now is Erica Pandy, business reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Erica. Thanks, Oscar. Well, let's talk about uh, Zoom and, and these other virtual meeting apps. You know, they were a huge help throughout the pandemic. Obviously, everybody had to go work from home if they could, and businesses really had to adjust very quickly. So these apps and, and these uh, meeting platforms really helped out a lot. But, you know, a lot of people, as things started opening up, you know, the whole return to work discussion, a lot of people still wanted to work from home. A lot of business leaders wanted people to come back. You know, they a lot of them really felt there was a, it was more effective being in person, the old work culture. And now we have a little bit of data to maybe back that up. There was uh, some studies basically saying that, uh, you know, work over Zoom may not be as creative as that in-person stuff. So, Erica, tell us a little bit more about it. Right. So the point you first made is so important to emphasize, right, that these platforms like Zoom and other video conferencing platforms were so great because they let us all go home and we kind of went off without a hitch. So they were awesome for what they did. But now that we're settling into this, we're starting to realize that maybe this isn't the final solution. Maybe there's something else we can do to make hybrid work, remote work better. And that's where this comes in. I mean, a lot of us have kind of felt it anecdotally. Okay. You know, you, you, you hear when you gather with people now, I had a day's worth of zoom meetings or, Oh, I had to be camera on in that zoom. I was so tired. And we <laughs> right. finally have some data to back it up. There was this new research published out of uh, Columbia business school and Stanford graduate school of business in the journal nature that, put people in pairs uh, either in person or on zoom and had them come up with, you know, thought, with ideas on how to use bubble wrap or Frisbee creatively. So basically just like, here's the task, the two of you are working together. What can you come up with? And they, they figured out, they judged these ideas and the people who were working together on zoom came up with fewer and less innovative ideas than those who were working together in person. And you, and you look up, you can look up the study and see exactly how they judged it. But, the takeaway for me was, okay, so there is really a creativity innovation cost of working yeah. on Zoom. And you're right. You know, when you talk to people anecdotally, a lot of them feel it. I myself, I work in, in radio, uh, you know, I do the podcast as well, but I miss that interaction with my coworkers. And once we all started coming back, we were getting great, funny ideas for shows and stuff. And it just started happening naturally. So anecdotally, I feel it too. I, I'm there. So what do researchers think? is the issue then with the Zoom. A lot of them say it literally is just staring at that computer screen. You're missing the environment around yourself. You're just focused on that screen and you don't get some of that other natural visual cues, those other movements that, you know, that help promote that imagination. Right, like sociologists and, and folks who study innovation and virtual interaction tell me that a lot of it is, is about movement. Like you're saying, when we're on Zooms, we're staring into a screen 
we are staying still so we're not being too distracting or we're not you know appearing distracted by looking here or there and that lack of movement that lack of visual stimulation can actually be stifling the creativity so if you're in person you can kind of take a second to look out the window you can use your hands you could even in a meeting you know get up go over fill your glass with some water on the side so all of those little things really quite literally get the ideas flowing. And when we're taking that away, it can be a big problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, just think about visualize how these meetings happen, right? You're sitting still looking at the other person. A lot of times you're looking at yourself in the video, make sure, you know, you're not looking weird or anything like that. You're checking yourself out a lot. You know, that's what's happening when you're looking at a lot of these Zoom meetings. So you're not focused on that other stuff. And, you know, to the point of what the study was uh, looking at and the props that they were using, bubble wrap and Frisbee, right? You know, if you're in person, you can motion throwing it, you can pop it, you, you know, whatever you're doing, you might not be doing it as much when you're focused on that other person on that video screen. Right. And and so the, then the question kind of came, well, you know, it's it's a bummer that there's a creativity cost on Zoom, but we're not going to suddenly say, OK, everybody has to go back to the office. Right. Because we've got all of these incredible benefits of distributed work, of hybrid work that yeah. we want to keep going to the future. So I asked researchers, what are some solutions here where we can maybe inject some of that creativity back in? And they said, you know, what if we went camera off? What if we went to an old fashioned phone call? Because I don't know about you, but I've had meetings where, you know, everyone's on the Zoom, but their cameras are off. I may be moving about, I'm pacing around my apartment as I'm taking the meeting. And right. I do feel more refreshed. Maybe the ideas come because you're adding in that movement element, that kind of active element back in. And then, you know, if you want to get even more futuristic, people are saying the metaverse is going to be a big part of the future of work. That way, if you've got this headset on and you're, you know, with your colleagues in, uh, you know, on, uh, like outside somewhere virtually or, or you know, on a, in, a, in a cool place and you can kind of interact that way, move around in your own space, but be there with them, that could work too. There's yeah. a there's a, a course at Stanford that does this with students and finds that they're quite creative when they're in the metaverse. But, you know, these headsets are still expensive. They're still pretty clunky. I don't know if I want to wear one all day. So <laughs> yeah, we've got that. But, that, you know, that's kind of exciting for what the future is. And, and you know, these video conferencing things are, are such great tools. We, we've proved that. But to your point, right, the study didn't look at some of these other benefits, the economic benefits of working from home, the cutting back on travel time, the better quality of life. It's just about how we use it to keep that creativity going. And, you know, you're right, just uh, doing audio only, headphones in, you know, you can create that movement again. So it is an interesting look. It's not like uh, Zoom and video conferencing has completely stifled creativity. But as we adjust, these are the things we got to look at. Absolutely. Erica Pandy, business reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Diver is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.